Welcome to the National Rural Education Podcast, The Rural Voice. Uh, we have a great episode today and, and a, a great uh, guest, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here with our producer slash co-host, Dr. Chris Silver, manning the, the uh, I guess, the booth from his home office now that UTC has pushed us all back. Uh, and Dr. Jared Begum is helped, uh, manning the station in uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, Turtle Town, Tennessee. And it's just a pleasure, and I'll uh, introduce Jared Bigham, Dr. Jared Bigham, to introduce our guest today, and thanks for being here, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this episode because uh, I think it's a topic that uh, is not explored by a lot of rural communities, and, but I think in the future it will be, and that is teacher housing as an incentive to recruit teachers, retain teachers. And we've got um, a great guest today, Ben Garrison, who is uh, trying to launch one of the first uh, teacher housing uh, communities. Really, it's a um, it's a very unique uh, proposal, and in, in trying to uh, not only recruit teachers but keep them there and, and give them a sense of community in some of our rural areas across the country and um ben is uh coming to us from chattanooga and i, I my connection to ben is his wonderful wife uh who i've known for a few years and um so uh, we we had the opportunity to learn about his idea for teacher housing and so ben thank you for being on the show with us i appreciate it jared thank you very much so, uh, Alan, I, uh, real quickly, could you frame up some of the uh, teacher housing issues slash what you've seen across the country since you're the, the world traveler? Well, a key word is was world traveler. Um, it, it, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's real it's really exciting um, to, kind of, to, to have, you know, and I met with Ben in my office here in Chattanooga and uh, through introduction through Jared and excited about what his plan is for East Tennessee. But you have some of these uh, aspects of these, uh, what we call subsidized teacher housing or um, I guess healthcare housing in some of these rural areas where it may be impossible for a teacher to purchase a home or to find an affordable, uh, I guess, a deemed a well-living home uh, to rent in some of the rural areas. So I know Colorado has been at the forefront of doing this and also in, in, in uh, Montana as well. So that's kind of, you know, this is kind of a new aspect of recruiting teachers and making it a, uh, a viable option to uh, find teachers to teach in rural remote areas. Yeah. And I know, uh, Ben, you've been exploring maybe North Georgia and, and uh, Southeast Tennessee. So how did you even come upon this idea because I, I'm pretty knee-deep in rural education circles um, in Tennessee and, and across the country, and I've only heard it in a couple conversations, even in the past uh, few years. So how did you stumble across this? I'd stumbled across it when I had kids, and as they started you know, going to preschool and kindergarten, you know, you get to know your kids' teachers, and I noticed that particularly the younger teachers and the teachers new in their career, they were all living in these challenged kind of housing situations. So it was, you know, a teacher that had a roommate that she didn't like or a teacher still living at home, 
because she couldn't afford what, you know, she felt was a, a safe apartment here in Chattanooga. And so I've got a, about a 20 year background in real estate development, sales, construction, home building. And it just really started seem like there's a, a real need out there to provide attractive and affordable housing for these teachers. So I think we're all kind of familiar with the, <clears throat> excuse me, the attrition rates of teachers and it can be hard to keep the talents of one. So this is a, this is a way to sort of add a extra benefit or perk for, to kind of keep these talented teachers in the systems. Yeah, and, and especially these new teachers that are early on in their careers, uh, maybe don't have the benefit of a master's degree or EDS or a doctoral degree that helps give them a little pay bump. And, um, you know, it, it, honestly, uh, teaching in rural areas across the United States is not what I would call a a, a glamorous high-end paying job uh, and you definitely have to be called to to teach in some of these rural communities and so any advantage you can get or a little bit of a leg up in helping recruit teachers and retain them is always important. I mean I, I, I look back to my first year teaching I still had a lawn care service that I had uh, when I was in college and I actually made more money mowing grass than I did as a first-year teacher. So the the struggle is real for, for a lot of these um, rookie teachers. And so I think this is a very unique concept. Uh, and tell us a little more about your vision for what this might look like and, and what makes it different from some of the other uh, subsidized uh, programs that are out there for educators. Sure. So as I've started to study these rural markets, uh, for example, if you look at, uh, say, Dunlap, Tennessee, so you'll see if if you look at the existing kind of rental apartment stock, it's all kind of medium density. So you'll have these townhomes side by side, or it might be a two story um, apartment complex. And if you look the, the visible stuff out there is subsidized and a lot of it was developed, you know, starting in the sixties and seventies, some in the eighties it's aged and the teachers, you know, they don't make much, but they make just a hair over the income restrictions that are on these, you know, kind of properties that are in these, in these markets. So you may have a couple maybe 100, 150 units around Dunlap, but the teachers make too much to actually qualify to live in the units. Right. So there's a, and then if, if you go out and look any kind of, any decent, smaller, single family home, maybe a little bit out of reach for the teacher unless they're wanting to take on a roommate. Yeah. So yeah. That, that leaves a gap in the, in the rental market and it leaves a gap for these teachers who are, are wanting kind of a nicer, newer, attractive place to live. But, you know, if, if I had to kind of guess and throw a dart and say who will ultimately live in these communities, it's going to be, 
you know, younger teachers probably in their early to mid twenties and probably mostly female. So yeah. safety, safety is really big, you know, consideration for the development and also providing a sense of community as well. Cause what's yeah, happening I, in, Oh, go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say, I, I've seen the, um, uh, a drawing of the of what one of these small communities would look like, and uh, man, it's really cool the the shared space uh, between the homes uh, where they can socialize, hang out, and uh, even you know uh, lesson plan together and things like that. Because I know, especially young teachers, they kind of gravitate to each other and. I remember when I was a principal, I would always catch my rookie teachers or first, second year teachers in each other's classroom uh, long after the school day had ended. And they were talking to each other about lessons learned that day or sharing resources and materials and things like that, or, or just just hanging out while they graded papers or whatever it might be. So um having that common area where it's not where they don't feel like they have to stay two or three hours at school to be around a coworker um, is a pretty cool concept. So you want to talk a little more about that as well, about your vision for what one of the, the, the physical structures of what this could look like. Sure. So I think, you know, particularly with these rural markets, I think there needs to be a value proposition to, in a way, recruit the teachers to come live in the areas. So the value proposition here is that they will get, <clears throat> rather than an apartment where you're kind of in a cube and you might have people next to you and on top of you or below you, this is a what I would call a small house. So probably around 650 to 700 square feet, single story, and just a really, and also stylish. So it has that kind of style. We're not talking about a box with a roof on it. We're talking about something that's, that's pretty neat and attractive. And the idea is to, and this, this really is an innovation to how most neighborhoods, you know, new track home communities are built today where they're designed for a car. So you have your street going down the middle and then on the other side of the street, you know, you have garages for people to pull their cars into. My plan for this design, and I'm really calling this a pocket neighborhood and kind of a village design. So we'll keep the drive aisles on the outside of the community and then have the homes facing inward onto a common shared space I, I wish i could throw up one of those photos for everybody to see but picture a house is facing inwards on a park and then each house has a front patio and then there will also be a community building where the teachers can do their lesson planning together and have that kind of community aspect but what you end up getting and I, i've studied some of the neighborhoods that have been done like this you start to get this community effect because people have excuses to see each other. So you go out on your front patio for whatever reason to walk a dog or whatnot. And then if somebody else is on their front patio across the way, then you start to see each other and get to know each other. 
And if these houses are primarily filled with teachers, I mean, teachers are going to right off the bat, I mean, do what teachers do and start talking about teaching. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the uh, coolest aspects, I think, of this beyond the recruitment piece is the opportunity for teachers to socialize together. And especially when you think about um, the, the, some of these rural school districts that are away from more urban areas, or it's a pretty good hike to get to an urban area where they might have a more uh, upbeat social scene <laughs> and that you've got young people, you know, they, they want to be able to go out and eat sometimes or hang out at the bar or, or hear music or whatever it may be, or just it, it, to, to socialize with people in their own age group. And this affords them the opportunity to do that without having to go any further than their uh, back ports. Uh, so it's, I, I mean, to me, I would have loved as a young teacher to be in a pocket neighborhood like that pocket community like that. And so I, I think this is a, it's an easy sell to a lot of rural districts, uh, but talk to us about some of the challenges in uh, maybe launching this first, um, the, the first one of these. I think if you ever get the first one launched, it'll catch on like wildfire. I think, yeah, there there are a few challenges. I think a lot of it, it's such an innovation that some people just fundamentally aren't able to, to kind of see it the way I see it, and I understand that. Uh, but I agree, once we get one on the ground, and I, I wouldn't even say we're that far away from doing it, it's a lot of it's getting conversations going with the right leadership that can kind of help push something like this across the line and get it going uh real yeah. estate development you know real estate development is capital intensive but the good news is there are a couple of different lenders that i've already talked to that once i explain kind of the the market and the need and the really the niche here they're they're very interested and enthusiastic about you know potential for financing it so it's, I, I believe the money is there and I'm studying a couple different markets right now to see where we can get the most support. Um, along those lines, one of the, one of the big challenges is just your zoning and your permitting. Right. Because a lot of, a lot of uh, municipalities will look at this like it, it's almost, if you look at a site plan, it almost looks like a trailer park, you know, and there can be some trailer parks that are older that are are mismanaged and they kind of give the density a bad name and in a you know rural areas where a lot of people will have a house on an acre plus it can be kind of a new thing for the planning department or whatnot to to see something with this kind of density coming in and it could they could kind of scare them a little bit right what have your conversations looked like with school officials or school board members, whoever you've been pitching this idea to, and you don't have to give specific locations, but just has it been favorable or what's, what are those conversations look like? Yeah, it's, it's favorable. I think for the, you know, I've, I've worked with a couple of superintendents and talked to the school board members 
they definitely see the need, but I don't think they're they're really the ones to go be heavily involved in developing property. And so I think the the biggest thing that this you know the the school board members <clears throat> excuse me this is this really is at the end of the day it's a it's a for profit venture with a social a positive social impact. So I'm not coming in and to clarify I'm not coming in as a nonprofit organization I'm coming in as myself as a private developer but I'm also I have a real interest in doing some good as well. So I think along those lines the the schools are concerned about seeming you know kind of favoritism towards me like say if I if I wanted to buy a piece of school land and build a village on the land then some other people in the community might complain hey you sold this developer this piece of land for a discount and now he's you know build a neighborhood on it why won't you sell us a piece of school land at a discount too right Wait. so there are concerns about that and you know other concerns you know they're they're not necessarily looking at it from a, a business lens they're looking at it from how school administrators look at it you know yeah. And I mean, honestly, I think a for-profit model, I, I have zero problems with that because I we often, I think, believe we have to have nonprofits partnering with school districts or people that, you know, are, are giving of their time for free or whatever it may be. Because as communities, we don't invest as much as we need to in our children's education. So to me, this would be a great investment for a rural community to say, hey, we really believe in our children's education to the point we want to recruit high quality teachers and we want to keep high quality teachers. And so, you know, a for-profit model doesn't bother me at all. And I actually think it makes it a more realistic type uh, model than people constantly thinking education has to be a charitable endeavor. Absolutely. And and also to bring up a point about going back to the financing and the financial partners, there's really attractive development loans available. And, but with these particular financial partners, they're called CDFIs, community development, financial institutions. And they're going to require, I mean, I'm going to, I want to place them anyway, because if you make this too expensive, then the teachers can't afford it, and that defeats the purpose, right? So the the CDFIs, to do the favorable loan terms on the development, they're going to require rent caps that are built into the terms of the deal. So the rents will be effectively restricted through the deal with the CDFIs, so there's no sure it's for profit, but it's it's nowhere near as profitable as if you were going to go into, you know, downtown Nashville and do an upmarket multifamily for rent deal. Right. So it's it's for profit, but it's not going in and trying to raise rents on people and, and make a killing. You know. Yeah. It well, makes it so that it's sustainable and so that it's smaller scale developers like myself 
will go in and, and do it and take the time to do it because they care, but it's also very good, you know, from a, put your real estate, put my real estate hat on. It's, it's a good, strong deal from a return standpoint, because your tenants are amazing. They're amazing people. You're going to have low turnover expenses, you know, cause you assume they're not going to cause damage to their property. And teachers are always going to have jobs, hopefully, you know, just going forward indefinitely. So it's, you have a very stable tenant base too. Yeah. It, I really hope that uh, you're able to get the, uh, I guess a pilot community off the ground uh, as an example uh, for other districts across the, not just the state, but the country. And I, I, I feel like you're on to something and I hope communities support this idea of really investing in our teachers, not just in salary, but their quality of life and their uh, quality of living, which pretty much, you know, a lot of it boils down to their homes. So, um, man, I'm, I'm glad you decided to tackle this, Ben. And I know that uh, if you have even 10% of your wife's passion and, and energy that you will definitely find a way to pull this off. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time. And I, I feel confident about getting getting a stake in the ground somewhere. And then that can really be a showcase for the rest of the region. And I think, I think school districts too, they can be competitive with neighboring, you know, school districts. And I think a lot of that starts probably with the sports teams, but that can kind of trickle out. And I think once, I think once we get one done, the next door, you know, the County next door may be interested. And then the County next door to them may be interested. And before you know it, before you know, we could probably have half a dozen of these, spread out in Southeast Tennessee and really have some fun communities springing up full of teachers and give them a great little community to live in and, and also start to work some programming in too, because you could have potentially 20 teachers that you could reach all at once. And these are the types of teachers that are probably, like I said, going to be younger and receptive to kind of advanced training that the districts may want to to do and also it could start to be become sort of a if you really think about the perks of it there could be it could almost become like a a reward or an incentive to reward the teachers that are high performing in the district yeah and that's a lot of what the administration has been drawn to aside from the recruiting aspect because they say they're already having to go outside of their their rural county to recruit for special types of teachers, and uh, uh, but also for the retention thing too. You know, hey, if if you want priority placement in the village, or if you want to get into the village, you know, if, if there's a waiting list, they could say, well, who who performed the best based on whatever factors you want to put into play, and they give them priority to to have a spot. Right, and and I think your point about uh, the the trickle down effect, or I guess uh, linear horizontally, depending on your geography of uh, districts um, seeing this model work and feeling like they're in order to be competitive in getting really good teachers that they're going to have to offer some 
type of model like that. And so I think you're absolutely right. Ever get one off the ground, it'll catch like wildfire in Tennessee. And, um, and, and the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that rural schools, by and large, are uh, have some additional property beyond what encompasses the, the school footprint, the building footprint. I mean, uh, I know many districts that have excess property that was allocated, you know, 50, 100 years ago for the school system. And, um, and so they, they've got all this extra property that they're not using. And my, my school where I was principal is a great example. I, it was sitting on about 40 acres around there, just around that school building of just unused land. And literally if you plopped one of these down within a quarter mile or even less of the school that you could, teachers could walk to their job every day. So I, I think there's some real potential, um, especially in the property piece for school districts. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how much land is out there and available versus if you're trying to look in more urban centers. You know, it's where a million dollars an acre or whatever it is. Right. Well, Ben, really appreciate you being on with us today and, and talking about this concept. Uh, I, we wish you the best of luck um, because I, I feel like this could be a real advantage for rural districts if they were able to invest in this type of resource for teachers as a recruitment retention tool. And uh, I can't wait for you to get the first one stood up and we'll have you back on the show to, to talk about how it's working. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, you guys will be the first ones to know about it. That's for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the NREA podcast. Um, on behalf of Dr. Alan Pratt and Dr. Chris Silver, signing off. Thanks, everyone. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast and website are those of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and do not represent the affiliated universities and or any organization affiliated with the hosts. This podcast and the accompanying material, including our website, represent the opinions of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and their guests to the show and website. The content here should not be taken as medical or professional advice and should be used at your own risk. The content here is for informational purposes only and should be understood as such. The Rural Voice podcast or its hosts do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast, and the information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. Further, the content of this podcast are the property of the National Rural Education Association and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark law. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without prior written permission. By listening to this podcast, you agree to the terms and conditions. And while we make every effort to ensure that the information that we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Thank you.